the idea for Capsule came from just reading the Sunday Times Fast Track, which I've done from a weirdly young age, and just read about these kind of crazy entrepreneurs that are our age and, and actually depressingly younger. Fresh out of school, not even uni. I know, it makes yeah. you think, like, well, kind of, why do we take this long? <laughs> Trials, tribulations, mistakes, barriers, successes, and failures. Hear it here firsthand from those that have grown billion-dollar businesses to those that are just starting out. Winner of the Campaign Publishing Award for Best Business Podcast in the UK, Successes in the Mind is the only place where you can get a sense of business reality in a world full of idealism. Everyone claims to be an entrepreneur, but can everyone live up to the title? What does it take to start a business, to get your product into a high street store, or grow a well-managed team? I'm Oliver Bruce, founder and entrepreneur myself. Join me as I interview business leaders and founders from across the globe, delving into what makes them tick, their differentiators and intrinsic motivators. This is Success is in the Mind. Success is in the Mind is proud to be sponsored by Coronation Wealth Management, a professional service providing tailored financial advice to business owners, entrepreneurs, managers and clients looking to grow and protect their wealth or reach their financial goals. The team at Coronation Wealth provides services including retirement, investment, protection and business planning. To find out more, go to coronationwealth.co.uk. Thomas Wynn forged his career in the world of insurance from a young age. From working for his parents' insurance company, Kingsbridge, for nearly nine years, Thomas and his family have recently exited for a healthy 164 million quid. Now, going it alone, Thomas has founded, in June 2021, Capsule. And again, in the insurance world, I asked Thomas if it's best to stick to an industry that one's familiar with. Could he have done it without his parents? And can you learn entrepreneurship? Ladies and gentlemen, Thomas Wynn. Thanks for having me, Oliver. So, Tom, you're now the founder and CEO of Capsule, but before that, you worked um, for your parents' company, Kingsbridge. It was obviously your parents that got you into insurance. Could you have done it without the helping hand? I mean, I probably wouldn't have chosen to without the helping hand. I think, um, like kind of other similar industries, very few uh, dream of children that they're uh, going to end up in the insurance breaking industry. But often, kind of, it's one of those industries that you come out of university and kind of fall into. I guess my world was actually kind of watching mum and dad set up the business in 2000 when I was 10 and go through that journey. And it was, and it's just one of those things I was in when I was a kid, I was much more interested in business and entrepreneurship and making money and things like that than academia and school. And so it's always just something I was super interested in. And it's kind of same with my brother. And I mean, it really was a case of the business was set up around our dining room table. So when I was going out to school in the morning, employees were coming in. You must have had a massive dining room table. <laughs> well, it did grow. Um, <laughs> and, uh, um, so it was, it, was, it was a cool kind of um, thing to kind of grow up around and seeing. And, and I guess the writing was probably on the wall that in some way we would have got involved. So in terms of uh, why you jumped into it, when you jumped into it, you went to London Business School. What did you study there that set you up to essentially be pumped into Kingsbridge as MD? Yeah, it was really the other way around, to be honest. Um, so came out of school, did a little um, bit of time at Kingsbridge. And at that point, it was 10 people, very much just a, a traditional corporate insurance broker um, for large multinationals, um, all the way down to SMEs. Really, like I said, wasn't really kind of focused on, on kind of academic at school, 
but found myself doing a year at Kingsbridge, thinking about the idea of, uh, of, of university and actually went up, went up to Liverpool with the, the, the plan of studying for university and did a, did a couple of years there whilst also working at Kingsbridge in the Liverpool office. And actually, it just it wasn't for me. I mean, it was really good fun. Um, and uh, and I, I learned a lot in other ways. But it was actually after that, I kind of I toyed and played with kind of I went and uh, sold gin for a big gin company. I went and opened uh, a Byron Hamburgers in uh, the first non-London restaurant, thinking that I maybe would want to go and do so. I kind of open a restaurant. I think Byron Burgers are opening up next to us, or at least in town, are they not? Are they? Well, yeah. I mean, they've, they, they've, uh, they've had a funny old time since kind of back then, but at, at the time they were huge in London, old kind of Etonian entrepreneur set them up. And, and I thought maybe I kind of quite fancied the idea of kind of setting up my own restaurant chain or something. And I went to him and he said, it's bloody hard. Um, I'll show you how hard. Go and open one of the restaurants uh, outside London, the first one outside London. And I did Oxford and he was right. You, you didn't, didn't get paid very much. Um, it's really hard. <laughs> it's long hours. And um, I came out of that and I was really reassessing and, um, and kind of probably spending too much time in bed. And dad said, look, come on come and have a look at kind of Kingsbridge now. There's some exciting things. And, um, and I thought, oh, God, um, this is the last thing I want to do. <laughs> but actually, he uh, kind of dusted myself off, yes. went down, and really just kind of got back, stuck back into it. As, as I said, kind of my, I've always just enjoyed kind of entrepreneurship, innovating, disruption. And what I really did when I kind of got, kind of got back there is think, how could I change it for the better? What could we be doing? Where's the opportunity? And, 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 and I was lucky, to your point earlier, Oliver, in terms of having kind of dad with a similar ethos. So once he could see that what we were doing in this new division that we were kind of launching was, was paying dividends, um, then actually we just kept investing and kept growing that team and, and, and kept kind of developing the business and, um, and, and, and ended up working. So uh, what school did you go to? Because you mentioned that obviously Byron Burgers chap went to Eton. How did you know him? Yeah, so I went to um, a normal state school, um, Prince, Prince Henry's in Evesham. And I actually I had an idea when I was up in Liverpool for um, opening a kind of pizza by the slice restaurant chain. And um, I reached out to some guy that I could see that had done it in London and it looked awesome, but it, but it ultimately hadn't worked. And he was in that set and he said, you've got to go meet my friend, Tom Bing. He's a bit crazy like you and um, he'll um, probably tell you not to do it, but um, he's worth a conversation. Luckily, combination of those two guys uh, got that out of me and, <laughs> and uh, set me back on track. And in terms of being disruptive and entrepreneurial back when you were at, at school and through university and again into your career now, what did you do from a young age that was disruptive or entrepreneurial then? Um, I'll focus on entrepreneurial rather than disruptive because I'm not sure that's bro broadcastable. <laughs> yeah. I, I, honestly, like kind of the, the kind of the passion I didn't have for for just learning and lessons, which are kind of I go back and and I was questioning why would I need to learn in IT? Why would I need to learn French? And then suddenly, you when you're in business, you realise the reason you needed to learn all those things. Um, and now I'm trying to do that retrospectively. Now I was kind of I was at car boot sales every weekend when I was younger and then selling these things on eBay. I was, I was the first person to start selling Emma Bridgewater pottery on eBay. <laughs> and, uh, I used to go out with my mum to Stoke-on-Trent to their seconds uh, warehouse and kind of wholesale buy all of their seconds that had kind of tiny little issues with and then we'd sell them on eBay. And uh, Were you honest though? Did you tell people that they were basically the cast-offs or did you say that they were perfect Emma Bridgewaters and they got damaged in the post? I'm not sure I'm in a position to comment on that. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, 
But there were things like that, like I set up kind of um, coach loads of guys from Evesham and Cheltenham to go to Alton Towers, kind of started the school leaver hoodie craze by, I don't know, buying them for £15 and selling them out for 30 So you're the man, are you, Tom? You're the man behind the leaver hoodie. Well, in Evesham. In, um, oh, in yeah. e- not globally. You're just, just, well, just in Evesham. That would be good. No, I spotted them at all the good schools in Cheltenham and thought, why don't we get those? Um, <laughs> so, uh, no, so kind of things like that, kind of, it was kind of eBay was kind of buying things, selling things. And yeah, I kind of really got a taste and a flavor for that. eBay clearly was, back then it was in its kind of real early days. And you see people from that era that kind of have gone on to be eBay millionaires and set up their own businesses. And Unfortunately, Emma didn't get me quite that far, um, but uh... <laughs> it gave you experience nonetheless. But being so entrepreneurial from such a young age, then jumping into your parents' businesses, yes, you were MD, but fundamentally you had to answer to your mum and dad still. How was it essentially answering to a manager? Yeah, and and then I guess kind of just to um, just to fact check that versus actually kind of how my LinkedIn reads. The reality was I started there kind of 15 grand a year business development or kind of not even kind of a sales exec role, renewing policies and really just kind of grew, grew within the uh, within the business over time. I mean, King, the, the, the Kingsbridge Contractor Insurance, which is the division that just flew for us, um, didn't fly initially. And there was only a couple of us. And really, we we had to just find our niche. And um, it took a number of years between 2010 and 2014 for us to really work out what were we, who were we serving? What what was the product? And, and that was the kind of, uh, that was the real kind of um, challenge for us and the learning experience. And it's the kind of 14 to 20, where we really worked that out and flew. That's also when you made most of your most of your money, really, and you did an element of exiting in terms of sale of majority of shares, et cetera, et cetera. Was that simply because the trajectory was so positive, then was that was the time to liquidate? I think there was an element of mum and dad had had the business for 14 years at the point that they took any kind of money off the table. And there's always that perception of kind of a business owner of, look, aren't they doing very, very well? But the reality is um, often they're reinvesting all their profits into the business. Often they've kind of got a huge mortgage. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and the reality is often very different to kind of, uh, kind of, um, kind of what you see on the outside. And I think it was an opportunity really for, um, for them to de-risk um, whilst also um, giving an opportunity to, to kind of younger management to come through and actually um, and, and, and kind of get equity through the, the investment process. Um, so in answer to your kind of your, your question, Oliver, that I didn't properly answer, how hard was it to be kind of told what to do? It's never something I've been very good at any, <laughs> anywhere. But look, I think I was always kind of more than happy for a number of years to be the student. We have very, very different skill sets. Kind of, I've always been very much kind of focused on kind of sales, innovation, partnerships, kind of that, that type of world. Um, whereas dad comes from an insurance background and kind of um, insurance broking for, for 40 years. His focus has always been on, on just crazy customer service. And so drilling things like that into me and my peers at that kind of young age actually kind of you're never really in the position where you were being kind of really kind of felt like you were being told what to do. You felt more like we were on a really, really cool, exciting journey. We had a more of an opportunity than I think most other 20-something year olds have to really kind of influence the future of the business. So Tom, obviously, you know, you were very lucky because your parents did give you that ability to, to join the business. Yes, you grew within it, etc. But had your parents not given you that opportunity, you being entrepreneurial, what would you have done, do you think? Oh, it's a it's a really good question. I guess um, I, I don't think I, I 
I mean, if you think how it played, kind of went to uni for a couple of years, um, then got really excited by kind of things I was doing. So in, 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 in the gin market, which kind of gin back in kind of 10 years ago wasn't really a big thing. There were a couple of gin. There were a couple of gins on every back bar, and um, now you struggle to go to a pub that doesn't have 20 gins on their back bar. And um, I easily could have just got swept into that world, and um, that kind of almost was in it just before it was trendy. So I do kick myself. <laughs> I didn't go down down that route. Equally, I don't know. Kind of, I kind of would have loved to have done some traveling. Would have loved to have uh, kind of done that. But I think ultimately, I would have ended up in a sales role. I think. Um, that, that that would have been the natural thing. I kind of find it very easy to get excited about kind of cool, innovative, ambitious businesses. And so whether I would have ended up in London or where, kind of ended up hopefully in an entrepreneurial business. But you, I see lots of lots of kind of people that work in recruitment, which is a world I know very well from kind of us insuring recruitment businesses in Kingsbridge. And you see lots of people with the same hunger and drive that, that just end up in different roles. But ultimately, um, a good salesman tends to end up in a sales role. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully, <if they're, laughs> if practice what they preach. In terms of you mentioned about traveling and the regrets, etc., that you have. Obviously, one of my biggest regrets is that I didn't go traveling, didn't have a gap year, or your your mate from Eton would call it a gap year, I'm sure. But uh, what what what's one of your biggest regrets from between university to joining the business, or do you not have any? Yeah, no, I think um, I mean I'm a massive believer that that grass is always greener. Well, I was kind of. Uh, there on the phones renewing insurance policies and um and i was 18 and i was thinking look at all these guys at uni and i kind of then kind of when you when when you're working you're thinking look at all these guys traveling the world but then they return home and they're like i really need a job and um, so the rear grass is always greener i would have loved to have gone and done a ski season i would have loved to travel and the the advice i always give to to grads and pre-grads that kind of people have done their a-levels is there really really is no rush the kind of the, the the I always thought of school. God, if you take a gap year, then you're one year behind in uni. You'll be younger than people. You'll be behind in the jobs market. But there's so much more kind of learning you can do just by being out there and kind of going and doing things, experimenting. And you hear kind of, or I hear in my family kind of worries around so and so's not got a job yet. Kind of they haven't found their thing, but. Honestly, it just it just happens. You kind of uh, and I see that kind of time and time again. So go out and have those experiences because my advice was always right: get a job, get back to work. And it, it wouldn't kind of be the advice I would give to people. I'd say just kind of go with the flow and go and have as much experience as you can. Um, and when you're ready to work, um, or kind of you'll ju- you'll just kind of find your way to something. Mm-hmm. So in terms of Kingsbridge and how it was set up, then structurally, did you have equity in the business? I didn't ever until the point that we went to our first private equity investment. Which was 2014. So in 2014, we took investment from a company um, called ISIS, who very quickly changed their name to Living Bridge. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you clarified that one. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, obvious reasons. Uh, it was at that point that for the first time, myself and other members of management got equity, and um, we were lucky that, that that grew as the business grew. Um, Did you buy in or get gifted that then? Yeah, I've had to buy in. It was, it's, what you find in private equity is you, there tends to be a sweet equity pot which is negotiated um which is kind of put aside by that investor to incentivize management and um the management the, the incoming management or the incumbent management they're expected to deliver the plan that you've ultimately gone out and sold and then in uh and tends to be then given some sweet equity which it should if uh 
that what you put in the deck um, is true um, should grow. <laughs> <laughs> and in terms of obviously your parents at that point were liquidating their shareholding, I'm assuming they were the only two shareholders in the business. So it was essentially your mum and dad that came up with the decision to liquidate equity to get the investment. At the point that you had essentially the, the, the next sale or the next cohort of investors in 2016, you were a shareholder at that point. So how did that work in terms of a dialogue as to who said now, basically? Yeah, so 14, it was absolutely um, dad's decision to kind of to de-risk the family as he saw it and take some money off the table, but also to bring in other expertise and other people that could kind of help us take it to the next level kind of based on our ambition. The, the deal in 60 to sell a majority stake was a real combination of that, that incumbent investor. So um, that they really will, they'll have a view, they're, they're, but, but it, they don't have a very emotional view. They're there to more often than not, kind of get three times their money if they can. Within what, three years? I mean, that's, that tends to be what they're aiming for, three times the money in three to five years. We, we were very lucky that, well, we were lucky in a way that we got there earlier. We kind of we really started to ride away. We really kind of were delivering in the market that, that we were growing in, and it was a growing market. And so we, we actually kind of, within two and a half years, we were there. Um, and there was lots of external interest in the world that we were playing part of it you're just led by the market the reality was that we were very much head down and we always have been that we've never been kind of out looking for investment and i and i really don't think that's the, the way the businesses should go i think if you just keep your head down keep focused and keep growing um then ultimately the opportunities tend to come to you we're very successful at just kind of i remember an investor calling us silent and violent in terms of kind of no one had heard of kingsbridge no one no one knows where chutesbury is um and, uh, <laughs> I know, it's true. And, and, and so actually kind of even cheltenham's a stretch for, for kind of especially if they're international investors and, and even in the insurance market people haven't really heard of us as, as individuals maybe kind of dad aside or kingsbridge because we just very much stayed to our niches and we stayed in the world that we lived so within the recruitment world within contractor and um, and, um, and freelance world and um, and lived within those ecosystems and so um, when we got round to this to the second opportunity at each time there was an opportunity look you can sell to trade and there's lots of big beast insurance brokers that will happily mop you up. But we never wanted to lose what we what we built in terms of the brand, in terms of the people. We didn't want to sell, um, no offense to Aon, but we didn't want to sell to Aon and suddenly become Aon Tewksbury. Um, and so that was always important. And then there was always kind of fire in our belly that we knew that we could grow, grow more. And so um, at the first time, lots of trade offers, no thank you, look, we really believe in the growth story. Um, and, and, and the second time, same again, it was more trade offers than, than, than private equity, but we, we knew that we wanted to go again. Um, and, and even um, in 20, and, and that was um, kind of trips to the States and ultimately sold to it to a US buyer, we sold to a really, really cool entrepreneurial, much bigger than us, set up by two brothers. So there was that family element, but, it, but, but lots of their kind of values and culture matched ours. And that was always so, so important um, that the Kingsbridge name lived on, that the, kind of the people within it were able to grow. But actually now that they were a the partner that could help them with their international um, ambition, 
um, that, that, that really just wasn't our world. We always explored it and we never quite got there and, and, and actually uh, I kind of got the ability to leave it with people that, that will get it there. In terms of when, when you exited Kingsbridge, it was such an integral part of your life from a childhood point of view all the way through to your, your late 20s. Shifting it isn't just selling a business, it's basically selling part of your life, what you've known for the last 20 years or so. How did that feel when you left it? Yeah, it was um, it was bittersweet, and I think and I back kind of this this founder point. When you're truly the founder, I think it is much much more of an emotional process. And so kind of for um, kind of for for dad, it was a, I mean kind of I remember the first time when I did the minority stake, it was kind of a real kind of pitch yourself moment. But actually, kind of yeah, bittersweet for me. Look, it was um, it was an amazing 10 plus years where I worked with family, I worked with friends, I made new friends, um, and um, we went on, on on such a cool journey. Um, and I guess I'm I, I'm massively grateful for kind of the opportunity Kingsbridge gave and for that experience um, and, um, and and for everything I learned around kind of the investment world and such. And so you're you're exactly right. I mean. Um, lot that kind of other entrepreneurs have said kind of when you sell a business it is a funny it's not necessarily what you imagine it would be when you kind of work, work towards it for months and I think that's right and but I kind of I see it as, as a chapter and and I, and I feel kind of really proud that it's still um, going and growing and um, continuing to do really cool things and kind of it's just in a, a kind of on its kind of next part of the journey. Our sponsors, Coronation Wealth Management, provide a professional service providing tailored financial advice to business owners, entrepreneurs, managers and clients looking to grow and protect their wealth or reach their financial goals. The owners of a dental practice turned to Coronation Wealth for help with their retirement planning and this is how Coronation Wealth helped them. We turned to Chris and the team at Coronation Wealth for help with planning our retirement. With Chris's experience and advice, we built a plan to achieve the level of income required to maintain our lifestyle. Coronation Wealth Management LLP is an appointed representative of and represents only St. James's Place Wealth Management PLC, which is authorised and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority for the purpose of advising solely on the group's wealth management products and services. More details of which are set out on the group's website www.sjp.co.uk forward slash products. What equity did you have in the business at the exit point in 2020? Yeah, uh, manage, management and kind of original founders had maybe 30% um, equity across the, the business at that point. Okay, so you walked away with a, a decent amount of money to change your life for a long period of time. Yeah. And is that the money that you've reinvested into your new startup, which has been going all of five months at the point this is being recorded? Um, and you set it up in June 2021. It's called Capsule. Did you reinvest what you'd taken from Kingsbridge into that business? Yeah. Yeah, I did. So that, that's kind of the, been the plan is kind of self-finance um, for, for as long as possible and kind of roll that money back into uh, into Capsule and um, hope it works. And so talk to me about what Capsule is then. Yeah. Um, so, so Capsule very much is um, in its simplest form is an insurance partner for high growth businesses. So your question about kind of the insurance kind of coming into the insurance market, you, 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 it's hard to get many people very excited about insurance, whether you're kind of uh, working it, working in it, or, or buying, it, or you're a buyer of it. Um, yeah, it's uh, a necessary uh, evil, really, insurance, isn't it? And unfortunately, that's what um, kind of the, 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 the views people have and kind of how they see it. And, and I guess 
what I wanted to do when I came out and kind of um, continued in insurance is I really wanted to work with businesses I was passionate about. And, and I love kind of um, kind of the idea for Capsule came from just reading the Sunday Times Fast Track, which I've done from a weirdly young age and just read about these kind of crazy entrepreneurs that are our age and, and actually depressingly younger. <laughs> <laughs> fresh out of school not even you i know it makes yeah. you think god what kind of why do we take this long um and, uh, <laughs> I tend to agree and, and and so it's really about kind of um looking at businesses that are in the fast track that are kind of you, your brew dogs your gustos your gym sharks your monzos that, that that was kind of thinking who on earth is insuring these guys and so i went and spoke to loads of them and what i found is they were either buying insurance online and then very quickly outgrowing it or they were buying from traditional SME insurance brokers that were near, near them or their dad insured with them or they found them online. And, and what I struggled to find was an insurance broker that really actually acted as a partner to these high growth businesses that are often first time founders, first time fi finance directors that are really clever guys, but actually haven't been insurance buyers necessarily in a kind of in this capacity before and actually partners with them as they when they're changing so quickly they're launching new products or they're launching into new markets and and, and i guess what we found was quite shocking which was our view is that probably 80 percent of all high growth businesses are underinsured or insured on the wrong basis just because of kind of the nature of how they're buying it, where they're buying it from, or the service they're getting. And so that's what we're really here to shake up is providing like unbelievable products, unbelievable service, but also massive understanding of the challenges high growth businesses face from being there ourselves to these businesses to help them un unlock growth um, and, and scale, but scale safely. So there must be an element of risk to you guys as Capsule, insuring such a high growth and indeed risky, uh, I suppose, business or businesses, because obviously they could go pop because they're over leveraging themselves to some extent. What kind of seed funding and, and kind of startup capital do you need to have to start a business like Capsule? Because if someone claims, where are you going to get your million quid payout? Yeah. So the, the kind of the important thing um, to, to, to remember is that Capsule are, the, are an insurance broker. So ca Capsule, yeah. So at ca Capsule are there acting on behalf of the customer to make sure you've got you've got the right program, you've got the right products, you've got the right wording, and that you're paying the right premiums. But importantly, if a claim happens, that, that it will respond. We then go out to the external insurer market. But, but you're absolutely right that. The big challenge we found in the insurer market is they hear young founder, they hear high growth and they think high risk. And, and actually, it's just not reflective of our experience, actually kind of. And this is ESG, um, kind of environmental and social, social and governance factors plays a huge part in what we're building at Capsule. And, uh, and I'll kind of talk about that in a second. But we've really been trying to prove to insurers that actually um, there is just this this kind of um, thing happening in the market now that you're getting young founders, young entrepreneurs that are, that are disrupting and innovating in traditional sectors and are actually, it's, it is responsible, sustainable growth. It just so happens that it, it looks different to, these businesses look different to the ones that have gone before them. Um, and one thing that, that we've always had a view on is that the younger the business, the more these kind of environmental, social and governance factors are almost baked into the business. And the younger the founder, they're kind of the, the, the newer they are, if they're going for VC money, if they're raising venture debt, actually, their kind of focus on the environment versus that of a traditional SME tends to be heightened. They're, the way that they treat staff, the way that they kind of treat their customers tends to have had kind of real scrutiny when they're kicking off because they're trying to, they're trying to disrupt something that's gone before them. So in doing that, 
they're having to improve on what the traditional services they see are. And it and it and we're seeing increasing focus on the gender diversity of a board, the racial diversity of a board, and people inviting external shareholders to, to board meetings. And all of those are ways of measuring a business. And the the amazing thing we found is no SMEs in underwriting, when you go to an insurer, they'll ask you, Oliver, what's your revenue? What's your headcount? Where are your offices? And what do you do? They won't ask you, tell me about these softer things around kind of environmental impact, um, social social impact, kind of how you treat your, your staff culture and such. But they're really, really important, and governance especially, um, that kind of regularity of board meetings and such like that. All of those, if you compare two identical businesses and one scores very well from ESG, that one should outperform the other business in terms of growth. They should fail less um, frequently than the other businesses. They should claim less and their claims should be less severe. And it's widely accepted now, kind of big, big business, that kind of there is this link between ESG and the risk profile of the business. But in SME underwriting, it's not assessed and it should be. Um, and so we've been working really hard with insurers over the last couple of months to get that acceptance and also get that commitment that they will look at these factors. Because what I want to do is with our um, cool, high growth clients is to say, yes, they're growing like crazy. But actually, look, we're measuring their ESG over time. And actually, look, there's an improvement over time. So, yes, they're growing, but they're also professionalizing. Yeah. And that does go to risk profile. And do you think, because obviously a lot of businesses, and I've said this fairly publicly, and as much as if you're not set up from a sustainability and a diversity point of view now, you ain't going to win tenders moving forwards. Because every tender these days simply says, what is your sustainability? What is your diversity policy? X, Y, and Z. And businesses that don't have that really aren't going to be around much longer. So by mitigating against the risk and making sure that the businesses that you're brokering and insuring have that in place, I'm assuming you're hedging on the upside being longer term. Yeah, I think if you if you look at just kind of um, the general investment market, even kind of a publicly um, traded businesses, ESG businesses are outperforming in terms of growth, but they're also outperforming in terms of share growth because they're more attractive. And that kind of that level of attraction transfers exactly like you say to to um, to tenders. So there's a big part of us. We want to build a business, a values-led business, aligning with values-led insurers that will recognize and reward those that are doing things differently. And we want to provide a home to those that are doing things differently, that are kind of based on their ESG-ness, if that's a word, um, but kind of <laughs> give, give, them, <laughs> give, give them a home where... Um, they kind of they look that actually the business that they're, that they're dealing with they kind of share the same values um but i i think it is so important but it, but equally it has to just be done properly and it has to be done credibly and it has to be done kind of authentically um the kind of greenwashing is such a huge word and um and i and, and lots of businesses maybe not guilty of it but they kind of maybe just overstate what they're doing kind of on the journey that they're on and i think um it's important to just be really transparent as to where you're up to i i, I kind of ESG and sustainability is a journey, um, and, and everybody's at a certain stage of it, and um, and I think that just needs to be accepted. And I, I just think there's a great opportunity for smaller, younger businesses to be more agile and fleet and foot. And and you are a small and a young business, being five months old. You've got a business partner. Do you have any investors, or is it very much just yourself and Liam? Yeah, it's um it's myself and Liam, and then um, we have raised um, a small amount of debt um, from um, um, my parents. Um, that kind of seeds over over a couple of years. We we've then kind of gone and um and, and and hired some kind of key people. So we we've uh, 
kind of might be perverse, kind of but kind of put dad in as chairman, having had years of uh, right, kind of under him to uh, yeah. to actually go. Actually, look, kind of there's loads of, of of ways that you can be really adding value to us. I mean, our our, our, our second hire after that was. To your point then, Oliver was the chief sustainability officer. Uh, again, somebody that we've worked with for years, but real kind of focus in governance and sustainability. But no, in terms of, um, of kind of investment, the, 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 the kind of, it was all from kind of the, the, the shareholders within Capsule. And, and, and we really have no sense as to kind of next steps beyond this. So the staffing is what for then? It's yourself, Liam, chief sustainability officer and your dad who's chair. Yeah, and um, we've just hired a, um, a head of marketing. Um, we've hired a brand manager, and now the focus is building a, a, a broking team and a, gr- a growth team. So, so I would hope over the next few months we'll we'll hire anywhere between four and six um, kind of what in old money were business development managers, um, <laughs> yes. but in uh, new money are uh, growth leads. Growth leads, indeed. And, and looking at, I suppose, how lucky you've been in terms of you're able to quite easily uh, raise money to be able to have a burn rate which is sustainable and be able to to punt on these hires not least a chief sustainability officer which wouldn't be most people's first hire now uh, what would you have done if you didn't have that access to cash to people listening to this who are wanting to start a business haven't got access to the money what would be your process yeah, it's a good question. I guess and the, the the thing to lay, lay the point to labour here is the um the kind of the capital that, that we plan to spend over the next few years is is kind of um mid to low six figure sums rather than kind of seven plus. It's not kind of um crazy VC money, uh, kind of a few million dollars. So it, it, we're kind of bootstrapping to an extent, but also we expect to become profitable after a couple of years based on that on that kind of early investment in growth. Uh, and, and I think my kind of Biggest advice is, is is do it with somebody. I think there's a real thing I've always had about kind of doing it solo is very very hard. And I kind of I watched that with my dad, and I've watched that with other businesses. I think doing it with three people is also <laughs> very hard. Um, yes. So uh, finding someone that's on your page that doesn't have skills that you have that that fills the gap super important. And and then I for me it's all about. Um, Finding the way to make money early is so important. I've seen so many amazing businesses and amazing concepts where they've built unbelievable tech and they've hired a great board and they've even taken money from really, really great investors, but they didn't focus on sales. Um, and, 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 and that's kind of, it's easier said than done, but finding a way to achieve the growth. And it's the advice I get from entrepreneurs I speak to is whatever, you can do all of these things but if you haven't kind of got a growth story and if you're not bringing money in, then it's a lot harder to do all the other things you want to do. Yeah. You can sort out overselling, but you can't sort out if you haven't sold anything. You haven't got anything to sort out. Um, in fact, you haven't got a business at all. In terms of what your journey is then, but you've been in it for five months. It's not even half a year yet. What are you going to do with the business over the next 12, 18, 24 months? You say that you'll be profitable in two years' time. What are your overheads at the moment and how much is it costing you to run it before you'll become profitable? It's when I talk about having a partner that's good at stuff that you're not. Um, <laughs> <the> numbers, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really. I'll have to die. I'll have to phone a friend. Actually, I'm in. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I mean, the focus is very much on on kind of hiring a growth team and then focusing on a couple of these innovation projects. We're we're looking at revenue based insurance where businesses are kind of paying month to month based on actual in month revenue, so they don't end up underinsured or overpaying for insurance based on future projections. 
We're focused on the ESG piece. The focus really over the next 24 months is finding our way into niches. We're targeting VC-backed businesses. We're targeting high-growth businesses that have maybe won, um, won an award, featured on a high-growth list, gone through an accelerator program. And, and then we're really kind of finding our niche into kind of uh, finding our way into niches like fintech or e-commerce or certain worlds that are high-growth in themselves, um, where it feels like there's an opportunity to to kind of add real value to these customers as they scale. And in terms of overheads, it, it, it's very, very much people. It's kind of really good people. I said, we've hired a, a head of marketing, um, someone I've been aware of in the market and known, but never worked directly with, i.e. kind of um, in the same team for a number of years. And, and it's those type of people, I think, can really propel the, the, the business forward in a way, kind of because they just have such different skills to myself and my co-founders. And so that, that's the big, big um, cost. And, and then just investment in tech technology, but doing it in a clever way so that you're not having to spend hundreds of thousands of pounds up front without knowing whether what you're building is, is adding real value. Looking back at, at Kingsbridge and lessons learned then that you've transitioned into, into Capsule with, what were your key takeaways, key lessons that you learned whilst working for somebody that you can implement when working for yourself? Yeah. A massive part of it was was kind of the culture and the vibe of the business and having a mission and have, being on a journey. And, and it wasn't something that I even necessarily drove. It was it was others within the business that just saw the importance of it. You look, we're, we're working in insurance. We're we're based out in a business park, actually a 15 minute drive outside the kind of the main town that people are coming from. And there has to be something that attracts them to come and work for you. And actually, there was a there was an element of family feel. There was an element of these guys are just growing and growing that you can put pool tables and table tennis tables all around the office, but there has to be something more than that. And so there was a real investment in culture and activities in kind of the, the, the kind of training and, and, and kind of taking people, kind of showing people their route to the top of the business. And, and I think that is just so important. Uh, kind of our, the generation below us, the, the, kind of the focus isn't always on how much money can I earn. It's actually on like, where can I work from and what's the journey and actually what's the purpose of this business? And that, that's where I think kind of encapsulate the ESG element of working with sustainable businesses. It, that that gets people going when I speak to them because they want to work with values-led businesses that are that are kind of affecting change in their own way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of the new generation, I suppose, coming into businesses is about work-life balance, not least because the pandemic has taught everybody about flexi working and how that works. And you know, we've all done pretty well during the pandemic in terms of keeping businesses going, and it was all very flexible. So I think that's the future in terms of in terms of working. Similarly, you're currently working out of a co-working office. Do you think you're going to be working out of a co-working office for the foreseeable, or are you going to take your own bricks and mortar? Yeah. Um, so, we'll, funnily enough, we're going through our B Corp application at the moment, it's and one of the questions is um, one of the things um, that uh, the question is: Do you have an office? Do you, and actually, when we were setting up, no, we don't. Look, Liam and I are working absolutely fine from home. Adding extra people, it's working fine. But there's just something to be said for seeing people sometimes. And and so I, I think a balance of co-working works really well for us. Where we've got hubs in Cheltenham or Bristol or London or Manchester if we need them that we can use and we can all get together and see each other. But equally, there's that kind of flexibility, which I mean, being very honest in kind of the early days of Kingsbridge, you were at your desk all day, you had your desk, you were out there all day, Monday to Friday, and um, you were kind of, you were out of the office if you were seeing clients. And that just, it wasn't sustainable and it has to change. It's old school insurance though, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And um, and I, so I think COVID has done such favours for so many people, not least kind of 
people with kids, kind of young parents, people with that kind of other interests, that kind of a, a family that are far away, that it just means that you can actually you can actually still do the job. Sometimes um, lots of people tell me better um, because you, you, you're actually there and able to focus. Um, so yeah, I, I, um, I think co-working will work really well for us to start with and it allows us to kind of be wherever we need to be for a period. So Tom, insurance isn't the most you know sexy industry in the world. How do you fire people up when you go into the office to get the most of it? Did you stand there like Jordan Belfort with a microphone and, and shout inspirational words at them? How do you do yeah. it? Wolf of Wall Street or Vin Diesel on Boiler Room. Um, <laughs> no, no um, I think, look, um, where my passion lies is, is in that kind of innovation and disruption. And, and because of the fact that insurance isn't sexy, it's ripe for innovation and disruption. And so it's our ability to do something better or in a different way than that traditional incumbent. And, and that, that really has always been the focus and then bringing this kind of absolute obsession with kind of customer service and kind of customer centricity to thinking, what do they need? Asking them, what do they need? What do they add value? We invested that time to do that. And they ended up actually valuing what they had. And that actually is, is, is a really kind of it's worthwhile. And, it, and people see people see the kind of the benefit in doing it. I think Capsule as a business is actually making insurance quite cool. I think the branding is excellent. I think it looks very, very good. In terms of businesses and brands that Capsule have won in their five-month tenure to date, what does that look like? Yeah, it's a, it's a real spread of businesses. And um, the, the good news is, they're really cool, exciting businesses that we love to, we're loving doing business with. Um, a, a couple of examples will be Castor, the Andy Murray backed sports brand. So th- those guys, and, and again, they're stories that you can kind of, you can get excited about because this is two brothers that are kind of 20, 28 and 30, um, or similar ages to that, that started the business a few years ago, parents back bedroom. They've since gone on to kind of get backing from Andy Murray, get backer from the Issa brothers, but, but kind of recently bought Asda, just done deals now with Newcastle, with Wolves, with Saracens, kind of working with Adam Peaty, working um, with Patrick Reed in golf. Their trajectory they're on is just so exciting. And actually, it's kind of a privilege to just be part of part of those journeys. So another similar story, um, a business called Wild Cosmetics, the, the guys that make the refillable, recyclable deodorant blocks. So again, there, there's, there's a, a sustainable business just growing this business like crazy over the last, after the last, over the last couple of years, taking investment from, from Jam Jar, the guys behind Innocent Smoothies, launching internationally, launching new products. And there, there's a the real opportunity for us to add value to say new products, new markets, insurance considerations and insurance risk, you're manufacturing products from, from here and bringing them here. And that's where actually a conversation with Aliyah, a conversation with dad, it can take real, real comfort knowing that, yes, they're growing like crazy. Yes, they're doing all these great things, but actually they're also well protected. And so it's businesses like that, certain businesses in, in, in fintech that are kind of less well-known brands. But I guess it, it, there's a real opportunity for us that we've spotted in just being able to learn and see biz- businesses in their chosen areas that are that are really kind of um, doing things differently, but where we've got our ability to be a little part of that story. You're incredibly passionate about about capsule. You can see that you speak so eloquently, but yet your your enthusiasm is is infectious. Now, in terms of when you have woken up in the morning and you're about to go to work and and stuff's hit the fan, you know it's gone Pete Tong. How do you kick yourself into gear? And has there been a point where you want to just pack it all in, regardless of it's capsule or Kingsbridge? 
Um, I mean, the one thing I have learned, I've always felt that um, <laughs> people laugh about this at Kingsbridge, that um, kind of I was because of the fact that kind of we grew King, the, the, the division that I ran from pretty much nothing to being really, a really kind of um, high growth and, and large business. I really felt I'd actually been on a startup journey myself. And um, the reality was I hadn't. There were kind of uh, 10 plus people. There was kind of it was already a profitable business and a brand that was reasonably well known in the insurance market. And I've only learned since leaving um, Kingsbridge and not having a salary and not having the benefits that go with it um, and actually starting afresh. Um, what running a startup feels like and i think <laughs> and um that will make quite a lot of people that um know me and worked at kingsbridge laugh i am thinking <laughs> and what is running a startup like though you, you you say that you've only realized it over the last five months what have you fundamentally realized about it you you get a real realization of your um shortfalls and <laughs> your areas that you aren't necessarily strong in when you're trying to do everything and realizing that you're actually only really good at kind of two of the hundred things that you need to be good at, um, which is where uh, this co-founder element becomes so important. Um, again, it, it kind of, I mean, COVID has probably exacerbated this, but I go, I've gone from um, working in a kind of office of a hundred people that is buzzing almost all the time to startup land where traditionally a startup land, you'd be with your co-founders every day and you'd kind of, but actually kind of COVID has meant you're kind of sat in a room just kind of going through these monotonous Rocking tasks. Rocking backwards and forwards. Yeah, and going, yeah, yes. going, was this the dream? <laughs> um, yeah. But you, st- I can't believe you started the business in the midst of a pandemic. I mean, what went through your head? You had an exit, you had a bit of cash. Why bother even starting it then? Why not just give it 18 months, have a relaxing couple of years? I think it was... Um, just that keenness to crack on and um, had the spark of an idea and felt like I'd ended a chapter um, and um, thought there's a really good opportunity here and, and I want to do it now. And it's that kind of classic kind of entrepreneurial impatience. Yes. Um, and it, and it, it did defy all logic, really, in terms of uh, kind of just sitting at kind of just cracking on through COVID or kind of looking at this in a few years time. But I think it was that is that that need to scratch an itch and um, and to kind of to do my own thing and um, to see if it works. In terms, Tom, of of actually what it looks like from an exit from a capsule point of view, is this going to be your forever business? You're going to be in it for the next ten fifteen years, or are you going to jump ship in three? No, definitely not jump ship in three. And um, yeah, as much as you can ever know, a business is going to be your forever business. Then capsule is it? It kind of, it, I, I like you say, kind of, I'm super passionate about it. I can see such opportunity for it here and internationally. I can see. I mean, I'm always a massive believer in sticking to your niche, but I can see kind of that ability to find niches within niches. Um, and um, and look, I'm I'm excited about the kind of the, the next five, ten plus years. Um, and, and, but you just never know what, what happens in business in terms of the ability to acquire businesses, to partner with others, to kind of so I always just try and keep an open mind on that. And Leah, my co-founder, always tries to just slow me down and tell me to go back and focus on sales. Yeah, you're on a really exciting trajectory. What does success look like to you? Because it isn't money. You've started a new business. You've got a new baby in as much as the business is that. What does success look like? When I came out of Kingsbridge, I really just the big thing I wanted to do is just go on go on another journey. Like kind of we we all already look back on that kind of fourteen to twenty period and go, whoa, that was so good. And even those that are on the journey beforehand, and I want to do that kind of. I I, I love that idea of being the underdog. I love the idea of taking out bigger players. Um, <laughs> I love the idea of kind of um, 
winning kind of we won some such cool clients already over the last six months that kind of you can get genuinely passionate about and so um success would look like building another business with really good people in it that we're winning clients that we're proud of that we're feeling like we're affecting change in our own way and actually to your point you you find some level of work-life balance i don't think you kind of you, you don't want to be kind of absolutely hammering it in 20 years time um kind of and um kind of um kind of owing the bank a lot of money you want to be in a really good position so that you can just do what you you enjoy and um give great opportunities to people and um look back and um i haven't just got the business that my parents started as my kind of good thing on my cv no, no you're now your own man yeah and i can say to my friends no i don't work for my mum and dad yeah you can go to the pub and say i am a fully fledged entrepreneur it's what you can do and drink a brew dog from a insurance deal that you've brokered and maybe go to the gym after in some gym shark clothes quite right in terms of you being on the sunday times fast track uh list do you think you'll be on there soon i can't be because it's finished it's done. It's, it's it really? gone. I mean, that was a really frustrating. Um, when did that happen? It was quite funny, and it didn't get a, a huge deal of press. But look, I've followed it forever and loved it forever, and and as, like lots of people, aspired to be on it. At, we look, we were due to launch in June, and in May it was announced in a very small part of the last fast track that um, after twenty four years they um they aren't continuing i had no idea because i often see it on van still fast track 100 or whatever and you go that's brilliant i wish i was on there but yeah yeah so um maybe some reincarnation maybe we'll maybe. start with um aiming for the startups 100 the startups 100 maybe you could start your own there you go in terms of if i want to find out a bit more about capsule and update myself on your growth keep track and frankly maybe just even use you from a service point of view how do i do that tom I mean, very boring answer, but um, <laughs> probably probably LinkedIn, which is the only social network I survive on, um, and, uh, which I know I know is wrong. I need to um, kind of uh, kind of get on the others. But um, look, LinkedIn kind of Capsule is on Instagram. Capsule's on LinkedIn. We're going to now kind of hopefully with the help of our kind of new head of marketing, really start to be more vocal. Really start to go out kind of actively kind of talk to high growth businesses um and kind of really build the brand but look kind of um I, i'm on linkedin and i and i've kind of love talking to entrepreneurs founders um anyone in high growth businesses or anyone that thinks anything we're doing is remotely interesting tom thanks ever so much for coming on the podcast it's been truly inspirational and actually to be fair i love the business i think it's really smart and good luck with trying to get these high growth businesses on your uh, on your record awesome thanks very much thanks for having me oliver Thanks for listening to this episode. For more information, check out the description where you can find exclusive video snippets on my YouTube channel, as well as contact details and links. If you've enjoyed this episode, please show your support as always by subscribing. If you or someone you know should be on the show, please email me via oliver at pinpoint-media.co.uk and I promise I'll get back to you. Remember, there's never a good time to start a business, but in business, you should always have a good time. Take care. Success in the Mind is proud to be sponsored by Coronation Wealth Management, a professional service providing tailored financial advice to business owners, entrepreneurs, managers and clients looking to grow and protect their wealth or reach their financial goals. The team at Coronation Wealth provides services including retirement, investment, protection and business planning. To find out more, go to coronationwealth.co.uk. This podcast is supported by our media partner, Blocks and PR, who represent some of the most powerful brands within the luxury, lifestyle, and fashion sector. Go and check them out at blocksandpr.com.